Hello and welcome to another episode of the Audaciousness Podcast with me, Maribel Ortega. And me, Helen Strong. In this podcast, we showcase individuals who have set themselves bold and audacious goals and have worked to achieve them with the aim of inspiring others to also set themselves audacious goals and to create a positive movement in the world. We'd like to highlight the fact that even regular people like you and me can have audacious goals and that role models are in fact all around us. Each and every one of us can have an impact in some way. Thank you for listening. We're delighted to have you with us. Helen, tell us about uh, the guests we're going to hear from today. Okay, we're going to hear from a friend of mine called Denise Cowell. Uh, she lives in Glasgow and I, I met her a few years ago, probably seven or eight years ago now. And she's just a lovely, lovely person. Whenever we meet, yeah, we just have such a laugh with each other. And, and you, you'll hear that coming through in the interview that she is just such a positive person to be around. And when I met her, she had was in the process of changing um, her career and just getting into this new career. Mm -hmm. And so for the past few years, I've been able to observe and to accompany her sort you know and to hear uh, from her about this journey of this new career that she went on and which has been fantastic to um to be able to say because I think she's she's found what she's looking for mm. um and she's she's done a, a really good job of what she's doing she's turned out really successfully yeah so we had this interview uh, whether this was November last year after a few months of pandemic which is important because it's the type of job that she's doing and she mentions that in the interview. Okay, so we'll listen now to the interview with Denise Cowell now and we'll come back in half an hour to talk about what we learned from that interview. So here's Denise. We hope you enjoy the interview. Denise, hello, and uh, thank you for agreeing to uh, speak to us about your bold career move, which you made a few years ago. Can you start by telling us firstly what your career change was and what it was that motivated you to make that change? Okay, hi, and it's lovely to be here, Helen and Maribel. Um, so I was a physiotherapist in the NHS here in um, the UK for 25 years um, and nine years ago that's when I made my big career move and um, I'd been thinking about it for a few years um, I wasn't entirely happy with what I was doing I, li I liked the, the, the actual physiotherapy work but everything around it was very stressful you know a lot of pressure on NHS staff with targets and budgets and things like that and in addition to that, um, th there was a lot of external stressor factors at home because um, at that point, my kids were about um, 12, 10 and 4, I think. And um, they were all in different schools. I was working at a hospital and my husband was traveling a huge amount with his job. So a lot of the time he was overseas and I was dealing with all this by myself trying to get the three of them to three different places in the morning before I got to school, uh, before I got to work. And it was incredibly stressful to do that. And there was about a year where I felt I was never on time for anything. I was mm -hmm. late all the time. And um, I was casting around for, I had this idea that I wanted to do something else 
because I was at that point, I was 45 at that point, and I thought, well, do you know, I could spend another 15 years or so working here and be fine and get mm. an NHS pension and, you know, da-da-da-da, and, and that would be okay. But what if there was something else that mm. I could do for the next next part of my working life and I didn't know what it would be I had no idea what that looked like or um, what area it was in and so it had been on my mind for about two or three years I think and I'd cast around a bit and thought oh, maybe I could work in HR because sort of human resources side of things did interest me and I thought no I don't want to do that and it just reached a point where I picked Andy up from um, the airport one night and he said to me so how was your week and I just I was on the motorway and I just started crying. And oh, he was just really? like, okay, oh. right. <laughs> he says, something has to change uh-huh. and you're not, you're not going back to work until we figure it out. And I actually phoned in sick the next day and went mm-hmm. off um, with stress, basically. Yeah. Took a month to think about it. And um, Andy suggested I should maybe think about editorial work. Now, I had, it had never crossed my mind as something that I could do, but... When, I, when he said that, I realised that I had been doing some of that sort of proofreading work for him over the years mm. for his marketing materials and stuff. So we sort of looked into that and I thought, actually, I really quite like the sound of that. You know, mm-hmm. I thought, well. and then I thought, oh, I don't know anything about it. I don't know anyone. But I thought, you know what? If I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. So we had a, lots of chats about it and we decided I would just hand my notice in and go for it so I went okay. I took I had that month off took that month off went back and handed my notice in when I went back mm-hmm. and just decided let's go for it and see what happens okay so did you have anything lined up when you no, handed your notice in? absolutely nothing and this is definitely oh. not how I would recommend that people do it but it was <laughs> it was what was right for me at the time because I, I I felt if I went back and got back into the phys- the swing of being a physiotherapist again, I would lose that momentum of, mm. of the progress I'd made over that month in thinking that I could do something else. I'd end up getting sucked back into it and it would have it would never have happened. So I made a decision just to ex- give myself a year to explore whether I could actually make a viable career out of it. And I went on I, I went on a one day introductory course in Edinburgh at Publishing Scotland and I was in it about an hour and I thought oh god yes this is this is just oh, really this is just what <laughs> I want to do wow. I'm so excited but and actually I teach that course now which is really lovely. <laughs> lovely um but yeah that that made me sure that it was worth pursuing just even okay. just that one day course yeah and can you remember how you were feeling as you handed your notice in as you made the decision to leave as you know the first 12 months where you weren't sure where you were going what was going through yourself you know your mind and your yeah. your body at that I time? was um I suppose for a lot of people in that position I was um 50% excited and 50% terrified mm. you know um like but I, th- I think once the decision was made Actually, it was easier, you know, because it was, well, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm going to explore and I'm going to make the best of it. And and I made the decision immediately that I would not go back to physiotherapy. So a lot of people had said to me, oh, well, at least you've got a career to go back to if it fails. And I thought, well, A, thanks for the motivational speech and, <laughs> and, and B, that's not what I want to do. I don't yeah. want to go backwards. And so um, I had decided that if it didn't work out, 
I would look at something else. I would do something else. It was scary, but so many people said to me in the NHS when I was telling people that I was leaving, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I had the guts to do that or um, I was able to do that. A lot of them said, oh, I couldn't afford to do that financially. And the honest truth was neither could we really, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it wasn't that we had some massive bank of cash that it didn't matter if I worked or not. So it, it was important that I was able to, to earn money fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had just reached a point, Helen, where I thought, I have to do this. I have to at least try, you know, I think that was the, 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 the overriding feeling of if I don't get out and try something now, I'm never going to do it, you know. Yeah. Um, Denise, I'm quite curious about the the aspect of, of dealing with the fear, mm-hmm. and uh, if you could, if we could explore that a little bit more, because I have the feeling that many people decide not to like take yeah. that jump and try something because that fear is just there, too present. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's something that over the years um, I've sort of succumbed to myself actually when I even think a way back to deciding to be a physiotherapist when I when I left school and went to um to study I was the first person in my family to go into higher education like that to to go and get a degree so that was a very unknown quantity to me what I really would probably have wanted to study would have been probably English and history but I had no concept of what I would do with that how, what I would go, and, and the fear of that unknown of coming out with a degree and not knowing what to do mm. stopped me from doing that so I went I thought I need to have a degree where I've got something tangible that I can do at the end of it and that's what and physiotherapy did interest me and I had a very happy career I mean there was no you don't stick at something for 25 years and be miserable at mm. it I had mm. I, you know I, I enjoyed what I did but that that fear that stopped me when I was, you know, 18 or whatever, mm-hmm. I think that that's the sort of thing that probably has, has stopped me doing quite a lot of things over the years, not necessarily big things, but that caution of oh, it's, it's staying in your comfort zone really, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. you know, feeling safe and not stepping out of it and being brave, really, I think. And I think maybe when you get into your 40s, you stop caring a bit more do you know what I mean you 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 decide you you suddenly realize that you're 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 moving through your life at quite a speed and you just think well if I don't do this now Mm. I might I might really regret not trying and and I think I can probably say that about quite a few other things in my life and I didn't want to say it about this so that pushed me over the fear I think I don't know if that makes any sense (laughs) and no no that that totally uh, resonates and I, I can understand and and how were those first months that were totally new yeah they were quite exciting actually because I uh, did some training initially and I did a lot of research I mean the, I did all the stuff that I probably should have done before I left the NHS um, so I did a lot of research into how I could get good quality training and how I could get support because I um, it was a completely unknown field to me. I was a brand new entrant into it. I didn't really understand exactly how it worked. I mean, obviously, Andy, uh, my husband, he works in publishing, but not in editorial. You know, he's always been in sales and marketing and distribution. So he could sort of give me vague ideas, but actually I needed to find out exactly hmm. how I could make a career out of this. 
So I quite quickly found what was then the Society for Editors and Proofreaders. And having come from a a very structured environment where, you know, there's a very clear career path in the NHS, there's pay grades, there's, you know, um, lines of reporting, it's all very rigid. To being freelance and not knowing anything or anyone, it's... you know, you could easily be flailing about in the dark for a long time. I can imagine. You know, so I thought I need to find some sort of support structure Mm -hmm. here for this. And that's when I found what was then the SFEP, um, which is a, you know, professional organisation for for editors and proofreaders. And they had a local group in Glasgow. So I went along to meet them and they were just so lovely to me and they were so welcoming and so supportive. And nobody there said, what are you thinking about? You can't do this. You've got no mm. experience. They were all very much, well, if this is what you want to do, here's the quit, you know, here's where you can get training. This is what you should do, setting up your business. And they were lovely. And that really reassured, went a long way towards reassuring me that it was a viable thing that I had done. Mm-hmm. You know, to see other people around me, to find mm. other people that were doing it was huge, really. And if I think if I hadn't found them, it would have been much, much more difficult, definitely. Do you feel like you found your passion now? Yeah, I do, actually, which is such a, I think it's such a nerdy thing to say about, you know, editing and proofreading. But I do love working with with words and language. I mm-hmm. really get such a lot of pleasure out of it and there's such a lot of pleasure in making it really the best it can be for you know, the next stage in the production process, whether that's, you know, printing or going onto a website or whatever. It, I, I really get a lot of pleasure from that, but also from connecting with other people in the industry. And it's and it's allowed me to, I'm much, I'm very heavily involved with what is now the Chartered Institute of Editing and Proofreading. I'm quite evangelical about it, really, you know, about, you know, if you're going to be an editor and proofreader, you need to, you know, join a professional organisation, if not ours, then someone else's. But you need to be with people, you need to you know what the standards are and you need to train and you need to have CPD. And, and I feel very strongly about that. And yeah. uh, and I want I want to encourage other new um, editors and proofreaders into the profession the way that I was encouraged because it was they were so welcoming you know um it's a bit of paying that back I think really yeah and and just following your career in the past few years because I think when I met you it was probably about six or seven years ago I think you had yeah. just transitioned at, at the time I think you're right yeah uh-huh yeah. yeah and you've come a long way since then I mean we sought your advice when we were doing wanting to do this podcast yeah <laughs> you, you've got your a successful podcast going uh, what else have you managed to do in the last uh, few years? so I one of the things that really um changed in, in 2015 my I would say my whole approach to business changed direction when I found the Content Marketing Academy. I won a, I won a free ticket to a conference that they were running about marketing. I knew nothing about marketing and I thought mm, well I might go along here and I might, I might find some new clients you never know and actually it really made me think totally differently about how I run my little one person business and how I communicate with clients and potential clients and it sparked a real interest in content marketing and marketing itself so that got me writing blogs it got me um, doing videos you know so I've got a YouTube channel and then more recently um, 
a podcast as well. And it's just about finding ways of communicating with people. I find really interesting about um, editing and proofreading can be a pretty dry subject, really, for people that maybe aren't interested or don't understand. It takes a certain type of person, I think, to sit and really analyse text like that. But there's lots of things about it that can help people in their own writing or in their own work. And and it's just about getting that across that, you know, there are small things you can do and this is how you can help yourself. And and other and sometimes for other editors and proofreaders, this is how you can improve your business practice. And it's it's about, I think, just putting that advice out there. And yes, it has a the whole point of content marketing is to raise your own visibility so that you know you get more clients. But what appeals to me is that you're doing it, it's not being salesy, you know, it's being helpful and giving people useful advice. And um, I think it's just good practice to think about if you're if people are going to trust you with their writing, you need to be able to show them mm. that you don't just want to tell them that, you know, you think you can do a good job. You want to show them how you approach your work. And I think th- these sort of ways of doing things are uh, less overtly salesy than you know and and it it has a benefit of just most people will never work with me most people will never come and um you know say I want you to edit this but they'll maybe have benefited from a video I've done or a blog post I've written or something you know and I I like that idea that it's not just all targeted at you know who's going to buy from me effectively you know but it's a much more generous thing to do I think about being helpful with your with your knowledge Mm. is that important to have that attitude do you think well I I think so because I I I think people have such a negative view of marketing and and see it as a you know sort of a bit sleazy and when you talk about marketing your own business I think you know especially when I talk to other editors um there's, there can be quite a lot of resistance to it because they don't want to be seen as, you know, forcing themselves on other people. And <clears throat> I think it's quite a good fit with how I feel about how I want other people to see me. I want them to understand, you know, that this is the sort of person I am that I I want to work with you. You know, I, it's not just a transaction when, mm-hmm. when I'm your editor. It's not just you pay me and I do this. It's yes, there is money, an exchange of money involved, but it's a collaborative process and that's my style of working and it's about sharing information and knowledge not just telling somebody something's right or wrong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. does that make sense it's, yes, it's you yeah. know mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. and then on the back of that I've been the marketing director at the CIEP for the last three years as well so I've been doing mm-hmm. oh that. wow Why? yeah <laughs> so so uh, that's you wear a, lots of hats now. I then. wear lots of hats. Yes. Uh-huh. So I, I sometimes feel that like I'm spinning lots of plates as well. But it's yeah. it's all good. It's all good. So yeah. what what's next for you? You mentioned that you're teaching on the course that you originally learned on, and you want to help other people get into it. Is this in the direction yeah. that you could go on, or where where I are think you it's, thinking? I think that's something that I quite enjoy doing alongside what I'm doing. So I teach proofreading and introduction to proofreading for publishing scotland and i also teach um, proofreading i'm a tutor on the ciep online courses for proofreading there's three levels of that and i i love engaging with people in a classroom so this year it's been really really weird obviously because we've all mm-hmm. been reduced to doing it like this and mm-hmm. in fact i was teaching yesterday it's definitely something that I enjoyed um, teaching when I was a physiotherapist as well. I was a clinical edu- educator with um, mm. Glasgow Caledonian University and I used to take students 
on out on placement in the hospital. So I've always loved that knowledge transfer or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. you know, just helping people to understand something. I don't see me um, moving completely into that, but I do like to be able to do that alongside what I'm doing. And I think these days it's always good to have more than one thing that you do really you know mm. you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket really so mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd like to develop some well I am they're in very early stages some of my own um short things and uh, short courses mm-hmm. very sort of specific things that I can sell online but that's that's for next year mm-hmm. <laughs> just thinking about that at the moment so yeah but that's something I do enjoy definitely And um, and Denise, for someone who is thinking to to getting into into this profession, um, what what advice would you give them? Uh, well, definitely don't do what I did if you could avoid it. I would say plan it and um, and do your research. We, I'm, we're seeing a lot of people coming into proofreading and editing this year. Um, who've been furloughed or made redundant mm. and are looking at it's a very popular second career for people second or third career and I think the flexibility that it gives you if you're working freelance is one of the big things um, I would definitely say you know plan ahead do your research think about what training you need uh, have a financial cushion I mean I think that's just sensible for anybody that's making a big career move and And go for, go for it. If you feel strongly enough that you think this would interest you, I was prepared to do anything if it didn't work out. I think that was the key thing, that I had made the decision mentally to move on from what I was doing. Mm. And I knew that I wouldn't go back to it. Not everybody feels that way. So sometimes it's easier for people to keep their options open. And in fact, some people transition and run their proofreading and editing in parallel with their job and then mm. gradually transition out of it. And depending on what you do, that can work really well. I mean, some people move out of teaching or um, or being in academia or, you know, maybe working for local government and they gradually reduce the hours that they're doing. And But then other people have a big shock and they're made redundant or, you know, They have to move for their husband's or their partner's job, and they're in an area where they don't, they can't get work, and they have to look at other ways. So, there are. I think the thing about it is that editing and proofreading is flexible because most of the work is done on online now. You know, I never meet my clients; they're all over the world. Mm-hmm. So it, that's a huge bonus. You can be anywhere. You can do your work in your own time. So the flexibility is really appealing to a lot of people. So yeah, I would say plan it out and. And go for it, but get some training, definitely. Have you written about that in your in my blog? I think I have. I th- I'm just trying to think. I'm sure there are blogs somewhere there. that I, I'm in the middle of moving my website from one thing to another at the moment, and I'm having to transfer all my blogs over. So I'm having to go through them all. And I'm sure there is one about making that career change. I think it was one of the first ones I wrote, actually, about the tra- about the um, transferable skills between being a physiotherapist and being an editor, which, <laughs> which, which is actually, <laughs> I think I said something along the lines of I went from manipulating joints to manipulating text. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there are lots of transferable skills like um, being organized and mm. working in a team and developing a relationship whether that's with your client or with a with a patient you know all these sorts of things so I think there were five or six things I listed 
And did you have to deal at the beginning with imposter syndrome? You know, when we, yeah. at least something like that happened to me when I transitioned from teaching to coaching that at the beginning I was thinking, I have no experience. Who am I to, oh, to, to do this? And oh, and that inner critic, like. Absolutely. And I would say that even now, even now, yeah, I, I think it's something that I will deal with all my life. I, I think everything I do, I feel a bit of imposter syndrome about. Who am I to be making videos? Who am I to be doing a podcast and talking about these things? Because I think you can always think of somebody else and think, well, they know more than me or they could they could present this better than me. So I shouldn't be doing this. And it's such a, it's such a difficult mindset to get out of sometimes, I think. Um, but I think it's that whole feel the fear and do it. I think you've reached a point. You know, well, I certainly obviously have reached a point in my life where I'm just thinking, I'll just do it. I'm just, what's the worst that can happen? I will uh. just, I will just do it. If it doesn't work, I'll do something else. And that's a mindset that I definitely didn't have for such a long time. I was dead. When I think of my years as a physiotherapist, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I had a great team that I worked with, but I was staying safe, staying mm. safe all that time. And there's mm. nothing wrong with that really until you start feeling that it's not enough. You know, yeah. do you think the imposter syndrome comes with the territory then? I think so. And I think especially when you you don't have you, like as a you know, when you work freelance, you don't get much feedback on what you're doing. OK, mm -hmm. so you, you hand in a piece of work and you you probably get a thanks very much. That's great. But that's not particularly constructive on how to improve yourself or, you know, th there's nothing there for you to reflect on and think, well, what could I do differently or better next time? So I think um, it's easy to feel that you're not making progress over the years when you're in a career like that. And you have to look elsewhere to get that validation I think that reassurance that actually you know what you are good at this and you can do okay with it and and I think again that's why um, meeting up with other editors being part of an organization doing training like with the CIEP there are grades of membership that you work through so that in itself tells you that you're doing something right you know but mm. even just talking to other editors and sharing I'm in a, a mastermind group if you want to call it that or an accountability group and we talk about work that we're doing and we get reassurance from each other that we're on the right track or you know if we're stuck on something we'll ask the others for advice and sort of crowd crowdfund the answer and um, that's really helpful because I think imposter syndrome affects an awful lot of us mm -hmm. I think in, in this so finding people to support you through that is really important. On the subject of finding people do you have a role model or a mentor or anybody that you look up to? I, th I was thinking about this this morning, actually, and it just made me it just made me think of I think I've had it quite easy um, in a lot of ways with my physio career. Once you're in it, you can as long as you're not, you know, really, really bad, you'll you know, you'll you'll do OK. It's, it's very different when you're out on your own and you're having to make your own way. And then when I see people like um, Kamala Harris in, you know, the new vice president and, and I think the journey that she's had to have to get to where she is in terms of, you know, um, you know, just all the daily microaggressions she must have had to deal with in her life, never mind the overt racism and mm -hmm. and just how divided America is and to to grow up biracial in, in America, 
I think I just look at her and I think, gosh, I must I've had it really easy in comparison, you know, and 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 when you see people like her and other women that are in the spotlight, I just think, well, if they can do that, I can do this little tiny thing that I have to do here. You know, it's really not a big deal. So I suppose that's the wider thing, but but really so many of my friends and colleagues, I think, are better editors than me, uh, better at communicating at it. And and I think I want to be more like them. And it might be about how they maybe conduct themselves pre- professionally. It might be that somebody asks, they've got a sticky point that they want to get across to their author and they ask for some advice and some people give suggestions. I think that's a really good way of putting that. I would never have thought of that. That's an interesting way of coming at that. And and how, so how they conduct themselves professionally, I learn from them for that and also the advice that they give. And I just, I just think there's so many people. What's really interesting to me that in a profession where, in theory, we're all, compete, we're all competitors, we're all competing against each other. But in actual fact, it's, there's enough work out there for all of us. We've all got little different niches and we all have our different client bases and it's very collegial. And I think there's this definitely this um, thing about, I think because editing is an unregulated profession mm-hmm. and it's, you know, so you, um, those of us that do it professionally want standards to be raised. You know, we want people yeah. to recognise that there's value yeah. there. And so I think there's this whole a rising tide lifts all boats. So we all want each other to be the best editors we can be really. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really nice community to be part of actually mm, enjoy that yeah okay we've got one more question to ask you Denise and that's to do with the the name of our podcast which as you know is audaciousness yeah and the audacious part relates to the audacity to to go ahead with this bold goal this this career change that you did in the first place and the word ness which we found out when we were um searching for a name for this podcast actually refers to a piece of land which juts out into the sea, surrounded by water. Sometimes the water is calm, sometimes the water can be stormy. So our question to you is, if you are the ness on which to practice your audacity, what is it or what has it been that gives you that solidity, the solid ground to to practice this this bold career change that that you've made? Mm. I'm going to hit you with a really quite a corny answer here, I think. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, it's Andy. It's, it's my husband. Okay. Yeah, because he has encouraged me all the way through this. He was the one that said, yes, go for this. Even when, uh, you know, common sense would have told you it maybe wasn't the best time in our lives to be doing it. And he was the one that said it was all right to leave without knowing 100% how how things were going to work out so I suppose and even now he he's the one that talks me down when I'm full of imposter syndrome and Mm -hmm. you know he he, he'll say what's the worst that can happen just do it you know he's very good at that and uh, so I suppose he's the one with the with the life belt that sounds really corny doesn't (laughs) it but to say oh it's my husband but I you know i I wouldn't have done it without him. I, I think there's no question about that. So he is definitely the one that I um, rely on for that sort of um, firm foundation mm-hmm. when I sort of spiral off a bit into the choppy waters. And I, and I know that he's he's got my back, basically. Brilliant. 
Yeah. I think that's great. Not corny at all. A supportive <laughs> partner. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think that I do that for him as well. So, <laughs> but yeah, he's the man. Fantastic. <laughs> thanks very much, Denise. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us about this, uh, this bold goal. And we, we wish you all the best of luck. Um, oh, yeah. Thank, with you. thank you very much. Denise. Thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. conversation with Denise which we had in November last year it was amazing what what a great lady so full of love so nice she's so incredibly nice what was going through your head well you were listening to it again Helen yeah I had a smile on my face all the way through listening to it because she's just so funny as well um I mean I've, I've known her for a few years and she makes me laugh we you know whenever we meet we just laugh mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole time that we have this conversation because she's just such a, a fun person to be around yeah, so when I was listening to it again, I, I jotted down um, some notes this time. And yeah, I mean, there's so much came out of this interview. I thought one of the first things that, that I, I jotted down was this, when, when she leaped, or, or, sorry, when she leapt into this unknown, that she was 50% excited and 50% terrified. And I, I just thought, brilliant, go for it, because she was talking about being in her comfort zone all that time, you know, yeah. which which was fine. Later, she said about this imposter syndrome versus staying safe, you know. So, yeah, if you're in your comfort zone, yeah, you're safe. But how exciting is your life if, if you're within that, you know? And then she was excited and terrified and jumped anyway and then had to deal with this imposter syndrome, which she almost always has. She says, you know, she, she's having to battle that all the time. And I just think go Denise well you know well done for doing that and then you know she said once the decision was made it became easier you know once you leap yeah that's it there's no looking back there's no well you can come back if you if it fails and all of this and just this knowledge that she didn't want to go back yeah so I thought that was quite a a powerful part of it what about you Maribel well I the the sentence that most resonated with me and that I found the most powerful was the question what is the worst that could happen so when you are in a situation where you need to make a decision where you need to take a leap of faith and and you're dealing with fear or dealing of anxiety about the unknown and you ask yourself that question, what is the worst that can happen? Well, actually, you don't even know because your thinking process stops at the space where the fear is. And then you don't continue thinking, what are the possibilities? And once you continue thinking, okay, in, in case of Denise's um, in, in, in Denise's case, then it would be, okay, it doesn't work, uh, she's not successful or she can't earn enough as an editor and proofreader, so she'll get a job. She says she wouldn't even get a job as, I, I think she said, as a cashier or something like that. She didn't care. So when you continue thinking, okay, what if that happens? What are my options? What would I do? Then actually you come up with solutions of things that are plausible or, mm. and, and that you 
could do. And then suddenly it's not that huge, that, that, that big, hairy, horrible thought that it's just, well, you've, you, you, you come up with, with, with another solution. It's certainly not the end of the world if, if yeah. you're healthy. That's just, yeah, you do something else. And and it always feels worse than it is at the moment, doesn't mm. it? You know, at that time, it always, because, you know, you're driven by your fear and your fear is quite a, a, a strong emotion. It just feels so much worse. So if you have these experiences, this is why I think it's important to keep pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone so that yeah. you develop this resilience to leaping into the unknown and, and to experiencing fear and asking yourself this question what's the worst that could happen because the more you've got to look back and say and, and say well I thought this was going to happen but it didn't it actually turned out better then that reinforces that you are making the right decisions yes and on our last day if we think uh, how could have that gone what if I had done that? Like regrets of things that you didn't do because of fear? Ah, oh, that doesn't have to be. Because then if you're making decisions on fear, then you're losing opportunities. Mm. If you make the decisions on what could happen, then you've got a lot more options and you can try new things. I mean, really, there's nothing to fear. And, and that's something that, Cecilia said last week uh, mm. on the last podcast as well fear is just an emotion and often we're afraid of fear we're af afraid of experiencing that emotion we're not afraid of the thing itself we're mm. afraid of experiencing the emotion of fear I'm listening to a book called uh, The Confidence Code and today I was listening to a bit where they said if in doubt go for it because that's action and for example, for taking decisions, if you need to, to make a decision, then just make the decision because it's if something goes wrong, then you learn. And, and that is better. The more decisions that you make, the more you try things out, then the greater is the chance that most of them are good. Mm -hmm. or, or are decisions that, that are well taken, then if you are so afraid of making decisions that instead of taking 20 and 13 or 14 being good, you only make three and then all three are yeah. bad because you don't have any experience either of, um, remember what Andrea Houston said on our first podcast, there's not failure. You, you learn from that mm -hmm. and from, from that supposedly or so-called mistake then you can learn from that from for the next decision that you need to take exactly and the more you procrastinate and not don't do things the bigger the fear monster becomes yeah of course then you get the practice of making decisions going for things doing things am I going to ask this question this this, this happened to me uh, the other day there was an, an online conference for for parents and and I had this question and I was thinking oh should I ask this and and maybe maybe my German is not okay what if my question is is like people are gonna say what kind of and I was like oh Maribel please shut up that inner critic just ask 
It's interesting because I have the same fear as well when I'm on an online conference and I want to ask a question and I sit there with the question thinking, is this a stupid question? And are people going to laugh at me? And then I have to catch myself and say, what? Just what am I thinking? If the question has come up in you, then Helen, it needs to come out. Um, and, and often I do ask the question and it's a question that other people were also holding. Yeah. Um, you know, and I ask it and then there's some notes in the chat saying, oh, great question, Helen, I have the same one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That inevitably happens. And yet I still, I still experience it now. This is something that I need, probably need to deal with. I still experience holding on to questions for longer than I should because I'm scared to ask them. And I don't know what that is. Well, it's probably your, your female brain. That's what I have been learning. Or it could be something from the from the past, you know, that I've been doing it for so long that it's like habit? an in, it's a habit. It's it's maybe become a habit. Well, you can override that habit and the new habit is as soon as I have a question, I type Just ask it. it. Yeah. <laughs> another another thing that happens is that as the question comes up and I think, "Oh, I want to ask this question." And then I'm waiting, obviously, until it's my turn, you know, raise your hand in the in the web conference and so on. I can feel my heart beating faster and I can feel, you know, like um, my, my skin tingling. And it's like, oh, yes. God, you know, I'm, all the eyes are going to be on me as I ask this it's question. It's adrenaline. It, it is. And, and, Normal. and it's just a weird feel. I don't like the feeling. I don't like all of this adrenaline just because I want to ask a question because that's such a ridiculous reason to have adrenaline. that the physical symptoms of fear are exactly the same as excitement. When you're excited, you also have sweaty hands and you have adrenaline pumping through your body yeah. and your heartbeat goes. So maybe one one option could be that you reframe it and you say, I'm that so excited. Be, I'm, I'm excited that I'm going to ask this question yeah. rather than I'm afraid. That's true. Yeah, because I'm just assigning the word fear to these bodily sensations when it might not actually be fear it might be excitement yeah yeah you're right you're right well even excitement is just a word it's just reframing it to do to kind <laughs> so of like that manipulate my brain to confuse my brain and say no you're, you're not really you're not you're not afraid Helen you're excited it's just a positive word right yeah there were another couple of things that that came up as well Connected to the support network that Denise was talking about, I made a couple of notes on this. So she was talking about when she first started and the support network gave her the reassurance that she was doing the right thing. You know, they were so welcoming and friendly to her when she when she first came, but also that they're there to support her and she's doing it now to others in training and in increasing the the standards of the whole industry and I love that expression that she used about a rising tide lifts all boats you know that, that if everybody is is helping each other to improve the standards of the profession that they're in then everybody benefits at the end you know the the, the, the customers the service providers everybody does and, and, and it's so much better and then she talked about specifically this accountability group or the mastermind group which mm -hmm. which I think is really important and this lack of competition that this this way of viewing others even though she's a freelancer and there are other freelancers kind of looking for the same business she said there's enough work out there and if you're good 
the work will come to you. And again, this is going back to Andrea Houston's interview where she says she looks at everything with the attitude of abundance, which is exactly nature, nature is abundance. Mm-hmm. There's enough work out there that you don't have to compete for resources or in this case, compete for customers. Yeah. And you get so much more by sharing, being generous with your knowledge, like the, you know, the podcast that she's doing or the the YouTube videos that she's doing. The more you give, the more you get, the more, the more you receive. It, it's just a, a circular system. It, it's so this simple. Abundance topic also came with Naya with sharing knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she also mentioned that sharing everything that she knows and all that somehow it, it comes back to you. I remember my my grandmother. I spent quite a lot of time with her when I was a little girl. And this is based on her religious um, beliefs. But I remember that whenever there, there was a small child, like asking for money in the street, she would give them one peso, one or two pesos, something like that. And I remember she telling me, whatever you give, it always comes back to you. And even though this is something that that is based on on religion and and I am not, it's an idea that uh, of of this abundance that just creates positive energy. And and what Denise says of of not your your colleagues, they're not your competition. Mm. They they I mean if you see them as colleagues. Everyone has a specific niche. And even if you have the same exact identical niche, you are irreplaceable. And your vibe and the way you do something, even if if the topic is exactly the same and the niche is exactly the same, you will not connect to another person you're working with identically. So some clients would be better served by my style and others by somebody else's. Yeah, this was such a great interview that we had with Denise. And then we ended it after 30 minutes because we were trying to keep to 30 minutes and we kept the recording rolling and we had this fantastic chat afterwards. And then there was part of the chat, which is four minutes long, which we've decided to keep because we thought it was just so great. So let's listen to this extra four minutes now and we'll come back after that. And I would say with proofreading and editing, it does, freelance, it does take probably a good two years to build up, at least to build up a reasonably solid client base where you're getting regular work coming in. And and so a lot of people drop out and a lot of people struggle with that. Um, Or they work for packagers, you know, there's there's ways around it. They Mm. work for packagers and, you know, take a lower rate, basically. But there's got some security there. Um, But yeah, so it took me a few years to find my feet, definitely. And then, Mm. but I think, like I said in in the actual podcast, the CMA really changed. And also what's quite interesting is a lot of the people that were members of that were younger than me and really enthusiastic and, you know, developing their own businesses and you know and it's that whole thing about surrounding yourself with people with the right sort of attitude and Mm. and I think that really um invigorated me really because they were all oh let's do a podcast and let's make videos and this is what you do and I was like yeah I'm gonna have a go at that as well I'm old enough to be your mother but I don't (laughs) care (laughs) 
and and it's and it really does because you think well why not just because they're 30 years younger than me doesn't mean that I can't do these things as well and, and do you think that because it was a completely different career that you were just open for anything yeah I do think so I just I just think now definitely if something vaguely interests me I'll have a go at it and and I and I've very much got that attitude well what's the worst that can happen yeah it, it just I I think I've become much more like that over these last nine years and and Andy pushes me as well I mean I'm, I'm not like that all the time I'm not Mrs Super you know somebody will ask me to do something and I'll say yes then I'll say oh my god what have I said yes to I can't mm. do this you know why I mean I'm like you Helen you've done a massive about face in your home yeah. and I look at you and think oh my god well if Helen does doing that well then I could do this you know because <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think it's brilliant you know so I mean that you're an inspiration in that way as well really you know about making big changes and just just going for it yeah and and I think that's the idea that's kind of what we want to get out what Maribel and I want to get out in this podcast that anybody can do it you know you're a physiotherapist for 25 years that doesn't mean you have to be one for another yeah exactly yeah lots of people are and they're happy with it and that's fine Mm. but I know there's a lot of people would love to yeah love to get out and they just can't take that step for whatever reason there's obviously Mm. there's lots of reasons why people don't but a lot of the time I think it is that that fear the fear rather than anything else yeah yeah yeah. if you really wanted to do it Mm. you could you could do it and Mm. and you reach a tipping point I think where that need to do it overcomes that that fear they can also get in there Andy too well well that's the thing I mean you do hear people saying well you know my husband wouldn't let me and I'm like what Mm. (laughs) your husband wouldn't let you (laughs) you know Mm. I think you need to have a hard look at yourself yeah and and that's that's when you start thinking well there's something a lot more than you know you're not going to be able to change your career unless you change Mm -hmm. the way you view yourself what are you doing with this person who's not supporting you there's something wrong with the way you see yourself yeah that's very true yeah and see what role you see yourself as fulfilling as well Mm -hmm. you know your role is your role defined by other people and external things rather than what you really Mm -hmm. want to do yourself you know you're you're a wife and you're a mother and you're a physiotherapist well actually you're also your own person and you know what are what are you really what do you really want to be Thank you very much for listening to this episode of our podcast Audaciousness. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. A huge thanks to Denise for sharing her experience of leaping into the unknown and letting us know what she learned from this um, fantastic and fascinating story. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like. And if you think someone else would benefit from listening to this conversation, please pass it on to them and share it with your friends and family and colleagues. If you know of any other audacious people, including yourself, please get in touch as we'd love to speak to them. We'll be back in two weeks with another audacious person and another audacious episode. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.